When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal... And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The latest trainer to join our ranks is Donald McCain. To celebrate, we'll be having a Sunday and Final Furlong Podcast Owners Morning on Saturday, April 16th at Bankhouse Stables to see Raffles Capital and the €150,000 purchase, Invincible Power, the most expensive horse Sunday have ever To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And seeing as we are sponsored by a syndicate, I am delighted to welcome one of the most established syndicate owners in the UK uh, and a man who I described on the show as cutting a rather frustrated figure in the last year or so. Sam Hoskins, you're very welcome to the Final Forum Podcast. Thanks for having me, Emmett. Yeah, I uh, was listening to the, the sponsor as well and I thought it was very appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. We um we were talking to different syndicates for a long time, and uh, the second I spoke with Darren, I actually I bought shares in Scarlet Witch, 
we wish her well, by the way. She's in recovery at the moment. Um, so hopefully all will be fine with her. Eight weeks recovery at uh, Feathered, and um, and then hopefully we're back in business. But uh, part of the... He was kind of joking with me that as an owner, I don't have to absorb the costs. They do. Uh, and that's one of the great things about Syndicate. So it's the same thing. I'm a, I'm a member of the David Pipe Racing Club as well, and I absolutely love Syndicate ownership. And the fact that you get treated so well and you get to, to be part of uh, a sport that I truly love at an ownership level, um, no matter how big or small you've invested in. Like I met one person at the Gordon Elliott um, Open Day who said, I don't feel I should be here. I've only got one share in a horse. I'm like, of course you should be here. You're part of the team. Like It doesn't matter. Uh, so you can invest as much or as little as you want. And you do get uh, terrific access and this is why you're on the show because you were a member of the ROA the Racehorse Owners Association and you announced your resignation uh, in the last few days um, the The headline in the trade paper was pressure bills on ROA leaders as director quits and launches fierce attack <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so you were ele- elected in 2017 but tell us a little bit about yourself you, you're involved in syndicates yourself uh, you're very well respected in that and in the bloodstock industry too and um, you were with the ROA and were a, a director of the ROA as well so tell us and, and expand a little bit on, on your role that you played there Thanks Emma um, yeah well as you were saying um, being involved in, in the various syndicates it's you get to see I'm lucky enough to run two syndicates Kennet Valley Thoroughbreds and Hot Trot Racing Kennet Valley where we buy uh, mostly flat horses as yearlings, split them up into 16 shares and is fairly straightforward. Hot trot, we lease uh, fillies. Um, two, we've got two syndicates of six horses on the flat and one with six horses over jumps, maximum of 80 members, all leased, good fun, lots of events, lots of communication, as with both syndicates. And hopefully make it as much fun as possible because that's what it's all about. And actually, it's the one thing, what you were alluding to, sharing it with lots of people, um, it's amazing the outreach, and obviously I'm biased, but the one thing the bias does show is I get to see people, how they trickle in and they perhaps go on, how lots of people, it's not their only interest in racing, they're maybe a sole owner, it's just another little bit of interest, or it might be someone who who's kind of a in every syndicate. There are some of these people who seem to be involved in every syndicate, which is great, and they get to see um, all the different ways different syndicates are run, et cetera, and also they bring in their mates who maybe then go and sell a business or whatever, and they go and get involved and own a horse outright. So word of mouth is, is the best way of promoting our sport and indeed promoting ownership and syndicate ownership. And I've lucky enough to see quite a bit of that. And anyway, I've always been sort of passionate to try to kind of make a difference. Racing's my hobby as well as my work. And, and I'm very lucky and appreciate that. And I've always wanted, I've always been interested in sort of industry politics. I've always wanted to make a difference. Um, I was actually on the TBA board for the first sort of four years, uh, um, sort of back in, sorry, first four years, uh, four years before I was on the ROA. And then I was lucky enough to get onto the ROA, which is always really what I wanted to do because kind of working in, in ownership as such, it just made so much sense. And I was lucky enough to get voted on, uh, thankfully probably having lots of syndicate members that voted me on. And I've been on the, I have been on the board for five years and, but it's been a frustrating time and, uh, as you're alluding to, it's it's sadly, I, I just felt I had sort of no option, but really to to hand in my notice. I do it as an honorary thing, and and I feel I've been sort of banging my head against a brick wall, and it probably is time to to jump ship. When were you appointed director of the ROA? 
so I was, uh, I was elected onto the board in 2017. So I did a th- first three-year term. I'd just sort of done nearly two years of my second term. So I would have, my time would have been up uh, summer, sort of, I think, June, July, 2023. So I've, I've, I've exited a bit early. But it seems as though you you had to. Um, one of the quotes you, you gave was that you felt each time you were trying to state a case or or make the argument for syndicate ownership, um, you were being fobbed off. So for those who don't know, because there are a lot of new listeners to the Final Frontal Podcast, um, there are various different organizations in racing. What exactly is the Racehorse Owners Association? So, I mean, the Racehorse Owners Association should be representing all owners within racing. And obviously there are so many different types, whether you're an Arab sheikh, uh, just a, a person that owns a few racehorses outright to someone who owns shares of horses um, down to the micro ownership share. And the, gosh, they're so different, but actually they all contribute to British racing. And actually you see, it's amazing that what you're seeing now uh, evolve in racing that quite a lot of big owners are almost saying, well, actually to compete, especially in sort of jumps racing, you see sort of some of Paul Nichols's big owners who you suddenly see them all teaming up together. I mean, look yep. at Clanders one today, that's owned by... Paul Barber, Alex Ferguson, and I can't remember who else as well. But you, that, that it, perhaps a few years ago might not have happened, but now they do. They all team up and perhaps they think, well, I might as well have a quarter of four horses, one, one outright. And it is something and uh, it's, it's bringing a lot of people together, which is good. But I, um, I would be saying that the ROA should be representing all owners. And that's not something that I feel they do. And I've, I've always felt since I've been on that board that... Um, they have a, a, a leader that is anti anti syndicates, and I and I'm uh, and that, that's really frustrating for me. And I have done my best, and, and I do. It's an honorary thing being on the boards, so there's no payment or anything. But and I've tried my hardest, and we have our racing syndicates association, which really should be kind of sitting under under an umbrella of the ROA, but it doesn't. But we have that under, which is run by Dan Abraham of Foxtrot Racing, who's a top guy, does a great job. Yeah, um, I know Dan, yeah. And, and, and latterly, latterly, the ROA have sort of recognised it, but it took a long time for that to happen. And even now, they're just not interested. And it's, it's an annoyance. For me, the ROA sees shared ownership as an annoyance. Um, it's not the only reason I should add why I resigned, but it, it is a huge frustration why they're seen, it's seen as a pain, clogging up owners and trainers' bars, etc., and, and yeah, that's a real issue. And I can see that. And, I, and I'd be the first one to say, look, it's not an easy subject. And we can't, you can't just willy-lilly let endless numbers of people in the owners and trainers bar and, and, and affect the sort of the, the consumer experience of someone that's bought a hundred grand horse and should be having a nice three-course lunch without being disturbed by a mob of my syndicate members. But that said, I think there's a way we can keep everyone happy. And, and, I'm, and I'm very, I, I was, my idea of being on, on the board is try to engage in that uh, in that and sort of try to do what's best for everyone and and represents all owners but in obviously in my sphere the sort of syndicate owners and um yeah so that's uh that's my frustrations as you paint that picture of uh the bar being overrun you're you're reminding me of interviewing Ong Teal uh who was in line of duty and um uh game of thrones where my my opening line in introducing him on the final forum podcast was uh where he would in every episode say Bastard John Snow, and once he burst out laughing, I knew okay, I'm on, I'm on to a good thing here. We're, we're going to get on fine. Um, and he starred in Dream Horse, and he had a very, very big role alongside um, Tony Collette and uh, Damian Lewis. It was a fantastic um, 
ensemble I, cast. All I watched of, I watched that the other day. It's, it's a real feel good film, isn't it? It's a it is. It's a really good film. I watched the documentary film beforehand as well, which is the real characters. It's a really good film, and that is a real example. It's made. I don't think it's really been sort of made that much of within the industry to support to see it, but it's a really good story. And actually, that general story within racing is a really good one: the David versus Goliath. Mm. And obviously, that doesn't necessarily need to be between a syndicate and a, and a major owner, but it can be. It, 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 uh, but never, inevitably, actually, a group of it can be a group of milkmen or, or people from the coal mines in Wales taking on a, a ruler of the world kind of thing. But that is a good story, and there's not many other sports that you can do that. And um, it shows, I think the one thing with racing is it can sometimes come across not, not inclusive enough. And actually, this is a real time to say, look, actually, this is something where all people can get involved. It's not just TOFs or uh, people that have got trust funds or whatever, or own countries or islands or, <laughs> or planes. Uh, this is something that anyone can get involved with. And if you've got, if you've got £100 disposable income a year, you can get involved. If you've got £100 a month, Great. Um, and, but I mean, you've got to look after the consumer and, and I'm all certainly that's an important side. We've got to look after, make sure everyone gets the right deal is looked after fairly, not ripped off, etc. That's really important. But I think, I think I, I feel that certainly the ROA have always looked on the negatives of shared ownership rather than the positives. Yeah. The, the reason I've mentioned uh, Dream Horse, which is based on Dream Alliance, is that there is a scene in the, the owner's bar where there's a very posh lord who's got like uh, this champion racehorse uh, who Dream Alliance ends up beating. And um, he's kind of looking over at them and mocking them because they bred the horse in the allotment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the horse ends up winning. But, you know, one of them has brought in a can of like Fosters or whatever and, and, and is doing that. But realistically, like when you look at, at, um, at syndicate ownership, you're kind of told ahead of time, it's first come, first serve. Like, if you want to be there at, be it Punchestown, Kempton, Sandown, Newbury, Cheltenham, wherever, it's first come, first serve. Not everybody who's a member of the syndicate's going to get in, because that's just not possible. Um, so I, I can't quite understand why President Charlie Parker and Chief Executive Charlie Liverton, I presume, shares the same opinion. Why they're so anti-syndicates, especially when there's a very strong argument to be made that the world's most successful syndicate is Coolmore. Yeah. And yeah. like that's an example of the late great Vincent O'Brien, the late great Robert Sangster and John Magner coming together and saying, okay, we're going to go to America. We're going to breed from Northern Dancer. We're going to buy his, his stock. We're going to bring them over here and we're going to change the game. And they did. And Coolmore has expanded vastly and become incredibly successful. That's a syndicate. There's no other way of describing it. It's a syndicate. Um, and whether it's the, the Niarchos family on board or Mr. Vesterberg, uh, you know, that's how they're, they're operating. So why are, are, they, are the two Charlies, why are they so opposed to the idea of syndicates? I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I just don't know. And it must be some kind of experience. I said, I feel it's kind of always erring on the sides of negativity and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I feel I felt a bit of a lone wolf in our board meetings, and I've tried so many times over the years. I should add that Charlie Parker's only been uh, president last uh, two years, so it's Charlie Liverton's been chief executive the whole way through. So, um, but it's something that I've sort of had on my sort of yeah, I've been trying my hardest for so many years, and it's just. And the thing is, it's not actually necessarily. I'm not asking to say that I'm. 
what's the right answer to it. I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I think engagement's the key. And I just think they should be engaging. There's absolutely no excuse to engage, but whenever I've gone into engage, whenever I've gone into the tackle, I'm handed off. And that's what's really frustrated me. And, and I'm not a very confrontational person, but when I've gone into board meetings, obviously a lot of them have been over Zoom in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I've just felt there's just no interest in doing anything about it. And I, I should add, I should add the ROA have got a great team of people working for them, um, and including, uh, including a very nice lady, Louise, who does a really good job and uh, um, that, and it's certainly. But I, I feel that it's it's the it's the powers that be behind, um, who are who are holding this back. And and I've heard this numerous times through other sort of avenues. When people have gone to the ROA to discuss shared ownership or a new idea, it's always the same kind of sort of negativity and unwillingness to engage. And that's uh, it, it is the same story throughout. It's and it's just sadly, it's not just me. You said it wasn't the only reason that you resigned. What was the other? Well, it, I, I, there's a few governance issues with, I mean, I, I'm, uh, yeah, frustrated that there's, uh, we, we can all, every, a lot of people obviously racing, it is a very small world and there can be conflicts of interest here and there, but I think one should declare one's conflicts of interest. And there have been occasional things in the last couple of years where I think people have, should be sort of openly, and those haven't been declared, but I, I can't, I'm sort of not really at liberty to say those, but I don't think the, I don't think those have been taken seriously. And, um, and, and also, especially when it's a really kind of important time, so we've been talking about prize money deals and stuff like that. Um, we, we've got to take, it's important that if anyone has got vested interests that they should be saying so, so, so the decisions are fair. And, um, and, and I felt, and uh, on a different subject, that we, we had uh, certainly the, the big arc deal in the autumn was something which rightly or wrongly didn't, didn't go through, but actually we all voted for it, including myself. Uh, but I didn't feel, uh, from what the trainers and everyone else said, uh, the jockeys, etc., um, that we won't paint the full picture. So again, things like that—that that is that is a very poor thing if, if we weren't uh, told the full picture of what I believe. And um, these are really important decisions for racing, and 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 especially when we're talking about uh, the, the sort of potentially in, later in the autumn last year that we're talking about sort of taking away power from the BHA and giving more commercial power to the racecourses and the horsemen, then I'd be very worried about seeing the ROA, um, seeing the ROA and ARC running racing. That would be not a good thing for, for British racing. Yeah, because we already have a situation where the the ROA wanted to know what the media rights are, are worth. Um, they're worth a lot, by the way, uh, which is yeah. why... Uh, bizarrely enough, Sarah Lynham was on the show on Monday reviewing the classic trials at, at Leopardstown and she said uh, they they destroyed a saddling enclosure at Leopardstown to build a crash, and she was at Leopardstown and there was no one there. So how's that crash going for you? Um, that's one. And two, she said, you know, racecourses have an obligation to further this sport to encourage people to get more involved in it um, and they're the ones who actually have benefited most during Rona because they had the media rights and they've been bailed out as well uh, whereas trainers uh, as, as you will know trainers and jockeys and owners have, have really suffered during this period of time but the the prize money agreement that was reached between ARC um, there was an intervention from the NTF National Trainers Federation and the PGA, the Professional Jockeys Association, who we've become very familiar with uh, due to the Brian Frost case over the last year. Um, 
what was their objection to it and why did it fall apart? Um, I think I think the I think the objections were I think the trainers' objections uh, were that um, there was uh, it would need a rule change on the numbers of races on cards on those all weather cards and which could lead to a permanent rule change and um, and and also it was deemed it was meant to be a trial but I don't think it was signed off that it would actually be a trial and I think the view was in British racing when things become trials they just become adopted I think that was it there was I don't think there was materially that much difference so. It was a shame that the deal couldn't be done, um, but yeah, that was that was that was that. Um, but also, I mean, I think you can. I mean, there's different political. I mean, yes, political views. We're all when, there's not one rules right, but I would say. I mean, one thing I've always been lobbying on the ROA, certainly in recent times, is that that our fixture list in in Britain is is too is too big and and whilst and I'm always told back that oh well we see the numbers of horses in training they're actually going up. So we haven't got a problem. Well, actually, you don't. It doesn't actually need to be rocket science to work out there is a problem because we can find we can blame the autumn, the autumn for jumping runners, etc. We can blame there hasn't been many frosts in recent times for not many jumping runners, and there'll be a new excuse for why in July and August this year there'll be loads of four, four and five runner races again. Yeah. And it will happen. There's been the same on the weather over the winter. There is a problem here that we don't have. That there's not, and I don't know whether horses are sold on quicker or whatever, but. Uh, that there is, we have a lot of small small field races, and for me, the fixture list isn't uh, isn't sustainable. Um, I don't know. The ROA seems to be in denial about it, but to be fair, maybe I'm wrong and they're right. Uh, but that's something that I feel. And, and another point that I've been uh, putting forward, which again is just my opinion, but is that that we have we clog up all our crown jewels and Saturdays here. And you get some race courses that get away with murder, putting on rubbish prize money, being the sort of fourth and fifth meeting. Well, they either shouldn't be racing uh, on the Saturday, or they should be paying higher minimum value levels, or they shouldn't be receiving levy funding. Um, because why should we be using industry funding to do something that basically goes split screen with Ascots and Yorks and Sandowns or whatever on big meetings? We're just we're just um, we're just diluting our core products. And if we've got some of our most amazing races on Saturdays. Uh, we've got a crazy situation where actually we're, we're, we can't watch. It's just overload. And I like, I love watching all racing, <laughs> both codes. Uh, and um, you can't watch it all. I'm a racing fan. You can't bet quick enough either. If you like to, like to bet, I, I would have a bet as well. It's, it's, it's not conducive, I don't think. But that, that is my opinion. So I'm not saying that I'm right. But I, I think, but again, it's something that's never been really, it's just like, well, I've never sort of taken, I don't feel it's never been taken on board, but. That's, that's okay. Well, I was asked on TalkSport recently, why are Irish horses so successful at Cheltenham? And, and the Grand National, for example, like 10 of the first 11 home last year, uh, the first five home. And I said, because we have better horses, we have a better racing program. We don't force our horses to run seven days a week. Not that every horse has to turn out seven days a week. Um, and, and therefore... There is a staffing crisis in Ireland, the same as there is in the UK. Of course, there is, and and to say that there isn't is folly. There is also a prize money crisis in Ireland. Um, there seems to be a denial about that, but it's very much there. But our program almost forces top trainers like Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott and Henry de Bromhead to face off. They have to meet. Um, you can't just duck one another. You can find ways around it, but you do eventually have to have to face head on. That's why Irish racing is thriving. It's also thriving because 
of the success of Willie and Gordon and Henry, Jessica, uh, Joseph O'Brien, obviously Aiden, um, and owners who are based in the UK are looking at this and going, well, I'd rather have my horse in training in Ireland. I can still watch. I can either fly over, it'll take me an hour, or uh, I can just watch it on racing TV and um, see how my horse gets on. Um, and I can't understand why there's this insistence on seven days a week of racing, because I remember zero Sundays, except for like the 1,000 guineas. No Sunday racing in the UK. I remember that. Uh, bringing racing into Easter when it's, you know, that's a time off for stable stuff. There's no wonder that the people who love racing and are not paid very well in sta- as stable staff, are leaving the game because they're looking at it and they're saying, I, and this is actually based on the fact, I can't say where this comes from, but I know of trainers in the UK and in Ireland who have lost staff to the trade industry. They've literally left racing, the, the sport that they love, to go work in a hotel or go work in a bar because they'll be better paid and better looked after there and they don't have to work the intense hours that they do. So um, some of the stable staff at Gordon Elliott's were telling me that if they have a big winner on the weekend, they get Monday off. And like, you know, they obviously enjoy that, but they don't have to work the intense hours that you do at a big stable in, in the UK, where it's just constant racing. And also, while they might say, oh, the horse population is going up, what about quality? Like quality is far more important than quantity. And you can't have a Ukraine appeal novices chase which is a, a very important race at Cheltenham where there's no there's no English runner. There's Welsh and Irish runners, and that's it. And a Turner's Novices Chase where it's four runners and they're all from Ireland. That's embarrassing. It's, an, it's, it's a complete embarrassment, particularly when, and I love Cheltenham, but Cheltenham are intent on this five-day meeting. They're, just, they, they're ignoring everything that's been said by their members. They want five days, and it just seems as though... It's greed across the board. More, 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 more. When actually, sometimes, less is more. Yeah, and I think um, that's the problem. We've got financial financial strains. It's the temptation to take the quick buck, isn't it? And everyone knows, obviously, that is the ultimate quick buck, isn't it? A fifth day at the festival. But those two races really did illustrate it. And it's awful to say for the short-term pain, but almost... When you're seeing when you're seeing the few English owners, I mean, likes of Chiefly Park, obviously massively um, having all their jumpers in Ireland, having huge, huge success. It's it's all to say is the bits, and I'm, I'm not disloyal, but actually, it might just be the wake up call that British racing needs to say actually, uh, this might what what's happened certainly in jumps racing in in the last well recent times might just be the call, and I think we're possibly seeing slightly almost signs of it possibly in prize money, et cetera. Well, this is, you can't just magic it overnight. The, the thing is you can't just put the prize money and expect the horses just to return to the UK suddenly or, or suddenly, um, or, or people to change their habits. But the more and more people racing, British owners racing horses in Ireland and France as well, obviously. Yep. Um, and it's a real trend. And, and for me also, I worry, I've got a lot of mates for sort of young trainers, um, et cetera. And I worry that those guys aren't going to, they're going to struggle to to make a to make it pay. They, ultimately, it's got to be a business. They've got a bit of live, um, and I worry that that sort of days gone by. Those sort of ex assistant trainer who's probably extremely talented, whether they'll get the chance, whether it work out for them. Because 
ultimately the bigger getting bigger and the smaller getting smaller and, and little things like all these cost increases at the moment it, it makes it even if you don't own your own yards and you try and uh, rent a yard, pay all the extortionate costs of everything. Then you've got 20 horses. You probably go one horse loads up the country to traveling. It's going to cost you fortunes. You can't compete with the big guys. And it's, and it's not good for, it's not good for the future of racing. And um, I think even the, some of the bigger trainers are saying it's really unhealthy that sort of the, the, the small trainers are, that the bigger getting bigger and the smaller are getting smaller. And the big trainers can see that, which is actually, you know, there's a problem if that's the case. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, and Willie Mullins was even uh, at pains to to point out, look, if you want to go five days at Cheltenham, you better be real careful about how you're going to approach this. And if Willie Mullins is saying that, who loves a Cheltenham winner and, and is more than happy uh, to fire a, a bullet at every single race, then that should be saying something. Um, the fact that Paul Nichols basically didn't want to even interact with Cheltenham this year, like he, he essentially, from, from the start of the season... Uh, with his young stable stars like Brave Man's Game and Stage Star, he's like, oh, Aintree. Like, mm. his instant yeah. reaction to Brave Man's Game was, he's a King George horse. Paul, there's festivals before that. We need to talk about where he's going to go. And I think he was delighted when he saw that rain and was just like, ah, oh, great. Don't have to run in the in the Brown Advisory. Fantastic. Uh, Jess and John, I'm so sorry. Can't <laughs> run that horse on that ground. That horse has form on soft ground. He could easily have run. Um... And whether or not it's going to benefit him at Aintree, we're recording this on, on Thursday, coming in fresh, w- remains to be seen. But um, I think he's become fed up of of Irish domination and, and the big owners and big um, trainers just crushing uh, year after year, which was kind of nice then to see, look, it's still only 10 uh, that the, the UK had overall, but when the the Irish stranglehold on the mayor's novice hurdle is broken. The Irish stranglehold on the mayor's hurdle is broken by Nikki, uh, Harry Fry's training winner. You had um, smaller trainers getting involved as well. That was a real thing of beauty to see. It was it was good to see that. But you look at the vast amount of horses that Gordon Elliott has and the vast amount of horses that Willie Mullins has. And that then applies to Nikki and to Paul as well. And you do look... I, I spoke with... Um, a former assistant trainer recently, and he told me that he went to become a trainer. Uh, it was his ambition. And he was basically told, no, you're not. Like, yeah, you have all the experience, but nah, you're, you're not going to make it because you don't know the right people and you're not from the right stock. And that's really depressing to hear. Um, especially, especially when that person has dedicated their entire life to racing. Um, and there are trainers who have defied that. You know, there are trainers who have come into the game with no racing back. Like me, I, I'm not from a, a racing background. I very much worked my way into it. Um, show jumpers, I was brutal at it. Did it for a short period of time. <laughs> but I loved it. And I love getting to know the, the characteristics of horses' mentalities. But it is quite depressing to see that it's basically in, in the UK uh, for jumps training, it's 
It's Paul Nichols, Nicky Henderson, Dan Skelton, to a certain extent, Alan King. And then you got William Owens, who's not sent that many horses over. And he's right there uh, at the top of the trainer's championship. And if he wanted to go for it, he could have, I think. And in Ireland, it's Willie Mullins, Henry Jabromhead, Gordon, Joseph, who's going to step away from jumps training. Um, you know, they're the ones who dominate. And it it just further, it, it further uh, shows you how difficult it is to try and break into the mainstream. Someone said, someone said to me something in the autumn, said a good analogy of when it's, sort of fashion, it's obviously such a fashionable world that, um, that uh, when a trainer does very well, you get the flockers, the owners, of the flockers that follow. And you can't blame them because obviously everyone wants to have a horse in training with Willie Mullins or whatever. And he's the most unbelievable trainer. So mm. why wouldn't you? But I actually know I, I'd be a hypocrite to say, Otherwise, from running a syndicate, I know how much easier it is selling a syndicate on the back of a trainer having had a really good year or, or having had a really good horse for you. And so I can't really talk very much about it um, because I know we, we naturally, running a syndicate, it's actually, when you've got a syndicate of horse, it's, you, you want a, a sales pit, you sort of sales line, isn't it? It's much easier to sell to sell the big names. And, yeah. um, and there are so many good, good younger trainers um, I was just looking someone like a um, listing a name here, but someone like a, a Noel Williams who won the mayor's hurdle at the weekend. He's a really, really good train, young trainer who Terrific. I don't think probably had the support. And uh, what, what a great trainer of mayors he is, etc. But he would someone who's up to, under the radar probably a little bit, but it probably deserves a lot more horses than he gets. And I'm sure we could all name between ourselves many of those examples off the top of our heads. But uh, um, with different opportunities, he he could be a leading trainer. I spoke with, I went over and, and met uh, Donald McCain, who obviously hit the big time with Briggs and training Cheltenham Festival winners. Uh, he won the the Mayor's Hurdle and Cinders and Ashes wins the, the Supreme. But then he went into the doldrums and he spoke about how difficult it was. Like He didn't want to delve into it because he said, look, that's they're my thoughts and I don't really want to be throwing stones. But... People who were supporting him all of a sudden just dropped him. Dropped him like a stone. And I said, there must be some sense of satisfaction for you that you're the first trainer in the UK this year, did 100 winners, and you're now on 148. And when Darren was doing his due diligence, and he would have, he would have spoken with Paul um, and, and Nikki, he went, Donald McCain. This is, this is the guy who it just makes sense that we, we go to, Don, to Donald McCain. So the All About Sunday UK extension... Is, is Donald McCain. And um, he's an incredibly uh, kind man and an incredibly um, welcoming, as is his mother, by the way. They're, they're unbelievable. But he has some very, very strong views on racehorse ownership and uh, he has strong views that syndicates should be more supported. And I, I, I do notice that as you were resigning, there were a number of other owners who backed you up. Uh, one of them saying the ROA has cease to adequately represent the interests of owners. Um, but in response to your resignation, the ROA said, a healthy challenge and debate has always been welcomed as part of a collaborative culture at board level. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, what was your reaction when you read that? Did you just like kick a well, Coke can straight away? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's just like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I just thought it was a bit of a joke, really. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to think. I didn't really, I didn't take offence to it or anything. It's just sort of, well, I wasn't really surprised at the response. And um, yeah, but I mean, it's sort of, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot going on in my life and I, I really want to, I really want to make an impact on sort of racing politics going forward. I'd love to be involved again going forward. And I, and I, I'm, I do sit on the Jumps Pattern Committee independently. So I will carry on with that as long as they still want me. Um, so um, so I, I really want to carry on that. The one really sad thing, I, I, I was lucky enough actually to be the ROA rep on, they've got a BHA racing group, which is cross horsemen, cross race courses, and with a number of independents, such as a couple of journalists, etc., um, and the BHA as well. And, and how refreshing a, a board that is. And that's when you know, that's when you know sort of what, what the, the alternative, that you can really see the difference then. And that was such a refreshing when actually, there are a lot of different interests in, in racing, whether it's um, and all across the boards, but actually when everyone can kind of show respect to it, everyone gets their view in and and it, it, it's really refreshing. And I really enjoyed that. Obviously, sadly, that will go with this because I was the ROA rep, so I won't be on that anymore. But um, I, I really enjoyed that. And it, it's, it's really refreshing when you can hear actually different fractions saying, OK, fair enough, we'll have to give a bit here, but this is for the good of the sport. That's something I think, well, actually, maybe we've got potential here for the sport. And that, I think that's, for me, going forwards, it's got to be, there's so many vested interests, which are not necessarily for the, for, the, for the long-term health of our sports, but there's got to be, there's got to be a way uh, that everyone can, that racecourses, horsemen alike can say, actually, okay, we're going to have to take a bit of short-term pain here for long-term gain, in my view. Mm. They were asked, uh, again, they went about the whole collaborative culture has been established and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they, they added in response to your resignation, uh, we ensure all voices around the table are heard and help reach, right, reach the right outcome. Um, and then they gave you the, the good old-fashioned send-off of, Sam was a much-valued board member who shared useful insight and assistance across a range of issues facing, facing British racing. We sincerely thank him for his contribution and support in his time here. The board wishes him the best of luck with his future endeavours. Well, they'll be delighted. It'll be a lot easier for them without me on the board anyway. Um, but uh, they won't miss me, uh, really. <laughs> and I'm not going to miss them either. Uh, but I really genuinely hope that, uh, hopefully, that um, it can... And I, I knew what I was doing by saying it public. Um, it was intentional because... Um, I do hope things shake up because I can't see how it's going to shake it up otherwise. And I know there are other people on the board in there that are not happy either. Mm. Um, I really, really hope that they can take a stand and, and, and really sort it out because ultimately it's not a, this isn't about personalities. Uh, this, is, this is about doing what's best for the sport going forward. And obviously on the shared ownership side, I'm biased, but, uh, but actually there is, uh, but I'd be the first to admit that there is issues in shared ownership and there, and there are, things we need to sort out, but also there's so much potential and actually the word of mouth um, aspect can do British racing a lot of good um, and, and indeed racing everywhere, um, as we see in the likes of Australia, etc. So um, uh, I, I really hope they can sort that out going forwards. I was going to use that as an example, actually. And, and Darren was telling me that there was 3,000 members uh, of All About Sunday before they started sponsoring, before All About Sunday started sponsoring the final furlong. There's now over 5,500. Um, so the, we, we have a 
thank God, Touchwood, we have a massive audience uh, on this show, and uh, I don't take that for granted, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. Uh, there were more people, fair play to Ollie Bell for sending a, a lovely message, but Spotify said, we don't really like to do, because we're, we're signed with Spotify, we don't really like to do comparisons with TV, but the morning line, because that name's available, so we just stole it, uh, <laughs> the morning line on the final furlong was getting more listeners than the opening show was getting viewers. And they were getting 130,000 on ITV, wow. which is, and that's down to our listeners. Like, they're just incredible and great um, pundits like Dennis O'Regan and Darren, for that that matter, uh, Lucy Russell Hughes, Melissa. We, we just, we have a fantastic team. Um, but the fact that the amount of listeners who have DM'd me, who, who got involved in, in the David Pipe Racing Club, and have been blown away by visits to Pond House and have got involved in All About Sunday and are blown away by how well they're treated and the access to the information that they get on the app. I can't understand how the ROA look at shared ownership slash syndicates and just go, nah, not for us. Like It's literally Coolmore are the our syndicate. They're the the world's most successful and largest syndicate. That's how it worked for them. And that's how it still works for them. And whether you're putting in, as you said, 100 quid a month or 100 quid a year, uh, a tenner a month, whatever it is that you're doing, um, you get to be involved in racing in a way that you could only dream of. Like, I could only dream of getting access to, aside from the media access, to Gordon Elliott's yard and and to David Pipe in the way that I do, uh, and Donald McCain, uh, through being a member of a syndicate. Uh, and the chance of genuinely having a, a really good winner, whether that's a winner on the all-weather or competing at a, at a high-class summer meeting or hopefully eventually competing at Cheltenham. Um, I used to look on at J.P. McManus and go, well, unless I win the lotto, how the hell am I going to get there? And this presents the opportunity to do that. So if it's so successful in Australia and it's very successful in America, why the and, and you've made the point already about Sir Alex Ferguson and Paul Barber, uh, Fred Dunn, I think, is part of that uh, relationship as well. Then why don't they just welcome it? Why don't they embrace it? Why is this this mentality there of just nah, not for us? We we had um we went to we had a runner last uh, in the autumn at uh, a small Yorkshire racetrack. I won't name and shame them, but uh, we tipped that we had eight people, which is actually quite a, quite a lot for us going to because it's a bit out of territory where we were going. Anyway, eight people, but they're sort of, they had their allowance of six badges. And, and I said, do you mind if we, um, do you mind, would you be able to, would you be able to extend it and, get, and give badges to the other two? Um, I said, we're happy to substitute lunches if that helps. And like, no, you need to pay uh, 20 quid each for another badge each. And I thought that set the precedent. I actually told the ROA about this, of which I had radio silence from uh, the two Charlies. Oh my and, uh, and I thought, so yeah, that's a good example of what you're saying about Coolmore. So obviously Coolmore wouldn't be going to this Yorkshire track in general. It wasn't York. Uh, and uh, <laughs> who are amazing, I should add, who, who actually do give six, but they use so, so much discretion. But as the, um, if Mr. Magni and Mr. Tabor, uh, Mr. Uh, Smith... And Mr. And, and the and Mr. Westerberg and all their other halves tipped up at this Yorkshire track, and that Yorkshire track said to them, "Yeah, okay, well, you owe us uh, for twenty quid. You, six of you can come in, but pay us twenty quid each for the extra two badges." I mean, it just highlights how the principle's just wrong. I mean, come on, guys, we can sort this out. This is these guys are putting in whoever it is, whether we with our little little filly, least filly, but we still pay twenty five grand a year to train her. 
Um, so when someone says, can you give us 40 quid to get to, to, to let your people watch it? It's just like, come on, there's, I'm sure there's ways that we can, that race course in general, I just don't think they quite understood it. I'm not sort of, it was just crazy. And you just, situations like that drive you mad where actually there just hasn't clearly been much thinking about it, I don't think. And I just, if we tipped out with 20 people, it's different, obviously, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a bit of common sense and a bit of uh, engagement needs to be had. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of bitterly disappointed that that was a situation that you were put in um, because that's just, quite frankly, depressing. Uh, what is your overall hope for for the sport going forward? Um, I really, yeah, I really hope... Um, I mean, obviously, I, I really hope for more collaborative work. I hope to the horse can all get together. I think there needs to be, I think, I think, I think the horsemen in particular need to be strong with the race courses. And I think there needs to be a bit of, a bit of thrashing. I think there needs to be a bit of shouting, a bit of swearing around the, around the board table, getting everyone together. And I think there needs to be some big decisions. I think we need to bring fixtures back. I think we need to work out where levy funding is going. Um, obviously, hopefully we can target government to try to, um, to change the ruling on, on, on the levy. And that's something, obviously, we are all aligned on. Um, obviously, huge threats in the meantime on, on obviously, um, uh, on, um, on, on betting restrictions. Um, I can't think with the official terminology for that, sorry. Um, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, being restricted to betting 100 quid in a year would obviously be absolutely dire. But anyway, let's, let's hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah, we're, do, we're doing a special uh, on that actually in the next couple of weeks with, yeah. um, my, with an MP and, and that, that's, that's really worrying. Yeah, that's very worrying. But anyway, aside from that, um, but if we can all get together and I, and I think we should be uh, trying to, to time our slots better. I think using a bit of common sense, you were saying about stable stuff, et cetera, trying to make it that, okay, if, you are, if, you, if we are racing on Sundays, then um, there is, we have, if, if, some, if Sundays are jumps racing, then Mondays is, is a day off on jumps racing. And if there's, to try to look after our people within the sport as much as possible, um, and try to have it where there's actually a, the, the frustrating thing at the moment, things like the fixture list and the media rights are all owned by the race courses. And if they really want to keep on that aspect, well, we've got that, we own those, whatever, you're not coming anywhere near them. They need to give a bit. Because uh, and if they're not going to give a bit, I think really horsemen have got to get uh, got have got to really kind of uh, thread a toys a bit. And I do I do think it's not just oh well let's just accept a little bit more because that's not good enough. A little bit more is not going to get us anywhere. So and um, I, I do think there needs to be something radical radical change that needs to happen. But I think as I said earlier, I think some short term pain. I think if if, if the horsemen if, if if the race courses can 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 engage. Uh, with a, a united horseman, which the horses are not, the horsemen are not united at the moment. Uh, then, then there is hope. Then there is hope um, that we can. We, we just need to get the get the. We need to get these. We need to work out our our own house um, within the walls first, uh, i.e., between racecourse and horsemen, and then work to move it forward. Um, but I think there's a lot of things at the moment. You see sort of selfish things which are done very short termism and for everyone's short term benefit, but actually aren't in the long term interest of the sport. And I really think we need to get those in order. We need a proper, get the proper working relationship, proper structure, governance structure between racecourses and horsemen, because clearly the tripartite structure, et cetera, doesn't seem to work. And um, um, we need to move forwards together, hand in hand. And yes, obviously everyone's going to have to give a bit, but if we can do that, then I hope there's a positive future. I think you've summed that up perfectly. 
and uh, I think it applies not only to yourself, not only to the, the British organization, but but also to the Irish jurisdictions as well. Um, we all need to look at this and come to the proper conclusion, but I'm extremely disappointed in how the ROA have handled things and the fact that you've resigned and been so supported in the way that you have, um, and for them to then come out and say, healthy challenge and debate is welcome as part of a Shut up! It's just, it's just, it's just embarrassing. Like it really is. It's yeah, so disappointing. Um, yeah, Sam, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, the syndicates that you're involved with again, that you're um, in charge of, uh, Kennet Valley Thoroughbreds Hot Trot Racing, and uh, we've Kennet Valley. We've, we're lucky to have a, a star horse, Sabaska, who's a oh. legend. Who luckily, was a, was fifth in Dubai the other day. That's so right. We Ten people out in Dubai. We're all celebrating like we had a winner, and he. He's he's a star horse. He's very good at uh, he's he's very good at um, sort of picking up the coattails of all the leading owners coming in on sort of the Queen Anne's etc. He, he's good at coming third and fourth in big races, but that is so exciting, and uh, we're very lucky to have him. And um, and we've got fourteen horses with Kennet Valley Hot Trot. We've got um, two groups of six on the flat and uh, a group of um, eight over jumps. So we've got a between the two, we've got about sort of thirty five horses, which is really exciting. Well, as a man who knows so much about Bloodstock, I'd love to chat to you again because we're doing two Bloodstock specials. So I'd love to chat to you about first season sires and um, stallions to watch for the new season if you're up for that. So that'd be something great yeah, to talk about. Yeah, I'd be up for that. If you, if you want me, yeah. Now that you have freer time, Sam. <laughs> but, yeah. but let me tell you, it's better for your mental health that you're out of that that, that place. Um, Sam Hoskins, an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so, so much for giving us your time on the final furlong and the best of luck to you uh, in the future as well. Thank you very much, Emma. Uh, Sam Hoskins joining us on the Final Forum podcast. Uh, remember, you can listen to our Grand National preview uh, with Rory Delargy and Paul Ferguson. That's available for you now. And our review will be with Dennis O'Regan on Monday. Uh, we'll still be doing podcasts despite the fact that I'll be commentating on poker all of the next week. It's going to be a bit hectic. And uh, plenty of Bloodstock specials, stable tours, and interviews all to come as well. Um, you can click follow on whatever podcast app it is you're listening to is on. Um, best of luck. Stay safe. Be well, we'll talk to you soon. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The latest trainer to join our ranks is Donald McCain. To celebrate, we'll be having a Sunday and Final Furlong Podcast Owners Morning on Saturday, April 16th at Bankhouse Stables to see Raffles Capital and the €150,000 purchase, Invincible Power, the most exciting expensive horse Sunday have ever bought. To join us, download the app or visit allaboutsunday.com. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. And by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. Kaluki offer betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, with instant withdrawals and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki also have betting pitches at tracks across the UK, including additional ones at Cheltenham. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk.